Cause we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number one Yes, we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers When you're listening to Battle Red Radio, I'm Matt Weston this evening. I'm joined by Ike Taylor, former Pittsburgh Steeler, former 12-year NFL veteran. How are you doing this afternoon, man? I'm good, bro. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm uh, very excited to talk to you. It should be a lot of fun. So for today's show, what we wanted to do was talk mainly about the Steelers. I know they're playing Houston this weekend. And uh, the game, it's still only Wednesday, though. We're still kind of a, a ways away from that. So I kind of want to talk more about Pittsburgh just so I have a better idea of the team and also the listeners too. Um, and the first question I had for you about the 2020 Pittsburgh Steelers is last year they traded a first-round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick. And whenever they made that trade, was this a, a situation where Fitzpatrick was like the, mi the missing link to their defense or did they change their defense to build around Fitzpatrick and satisfy um, and make it like a complete transformation by using his skill sets to better fit their defense for uh, last year going into this year? He was somebody they always wanted to draft. draft. So, and they got an opportunity to swap for a swap. And what I mean by swap for a swap is, is you get a first round and you give up a first rounder. Mm -hmm. You know, so they did their homework from coming from Alabama. That's Minka, of course. They didn't talk to the coaches. Um, they just didn't have the opportunity to draft Minka. And they always felt like he was a stealer. So it's two things that come across when you're drafting, at least when I was playing. I think now they're getting back to it. And the first thing they ask is, is he a stealer? Period. And that comes from the Mean Joe Greens, the, the, the Jack Lambers, the Terry Bradshaws, the Lynn Swans, the Rocky Blyers, the Mel Blunts, the Rob Wilsons. It's just, we ain't talking about height, we ain't talking about speed. Mm -hmm. It's a stiller. And what it is to be a stiller is you love football and your teammates. Then you love yourself. So once they found that about Minka, they really wanted to get him, but they couldn't. You know, Miami got him first. But once the opportunity came during the season, for that organization, it was like a no-brainer. So they wind up getting him. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. I understand what you're saying. Um, do you think, like, schematically-wise, was it – did they just replace uh, their free safety that they had starting with Fitzpatrick and kept the same sort of defense going there? Or did they change their defense up to better fit Fitzpatrick's skill set too? No, nah, in that defense, to play free safety, you got to be smart as hell. So you're the mm -hmm. second linebacker. And depending on what's going on in the game, really, you might see everything first because you're so far. You might be the first, the first, the first guy to call adjusting to that defense because of how far you are and you got a clear visual on what's going on. So, and that's what, that's, that was one of the most important things they loved about Minko was his IQ and gotcha. coach T likes to call it above the neck. You know, yeah. A lot of us got height, size and speed. Um, a lot of us have talent in the league, but can you be, if, if I got 60 plays, 60 out of them plays, can you be above the neck with a high IQ? It's mm -hmm. like being a quarterback. And that was Minka. So, you know, he Minka can adjust to any kind of defense. Uh, Coach Tomlin, 
and a Pittsburgh defensive coordinator, but throw at him. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. And like watching, going back and watching, you know, the video for Pittsburgh, um, their win over the Giants and also their win over the Broncos last week. Like, kind of like what I get from it is that they, because of how great their pass rush is, they're able to funnel certain routes to certain segments of the defense. It kind of it seems like they must like neglect certain parts of the field as well, too. So, in that way, you know, the best routes to kind of get open on them are those longer developing inward breaking routes. And those routes, you know, take three to four to five seconds to get open sometimes. And you can't pass block long enough to be able to stop the Steelers' pass rush. Do you agree with that statement, or am I off a little bit with, uh, with that kind of general assessment of the way the Steelers' defense operates? Nah, to have T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree and to be in that secondary, because I had it. I had James Harrison, Lamar Willie, Joy Porter, Clark Higgins, um, Jason Gildon. I had, some, I had some guys coming off the edges. You can get spoiled. And what I mean by getting spoiled in the secondary is, you know, the ball coming out ASAP. You know, so uh, a lot of those guys in the secondary, and if you watch some of the New York Giants game, Minka was sitting flat-footed a few plays. That's why he gave up that post. You know, that post that was given up by Nelson, Minka should have been there. But you're so spoiled about the guys coming off the edge between Bud Dupree and T.J. White, the quarterback can't hold the ball for that long. But if a quarterback buys some kind of time, you know, they can make them kind of plays. So if you watch the second game when they played Denver Broncos, Minka was a little bit more active as in his backpedal because he understood and saw what happened in that New York Giants game. But you, I've been through it. Um, I had to be on my P's and Q's. And the reason why I was, it was playing a lot of man. So mm-hmm. I didn't have the opportunity to, to – to look in the backfield or count a certain clock in my head. But at the same time, I can see why guys can get kind of comfortable because you got two dogs coming off the edge and you know the quarterback on the opposing team ain't got too much time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of funny with them too because they don't they can create a pass rush with just three defenders with Dupree and Watt and then also it and then Hayward as they – it's like if they just have three of those guys in the field they can create a pass rush. They don't need a blitz, you know, six, seven. They do that occasionally as well too. Uh, Vince Williams has been a lot of fun to watch blitz. They even bring Mike Hilton off out of the slot too. Um, what are some of the, the favorite blitzes that the Steelers defensive front likes to run? Well, you know, when you want to talk about just like regular packages and that's no sub packages, no extra nickel, not taking a linebacker out. They like Vince. They like Vince Williams. You just said his name. They like Vince Williams coming down uh, the pipeline. Because you got to have a mindset to want to blitz. Like, I blitzed a few times, but I don't really think I had the mindset to blitz. When you want to talk about a secondary guy who, who, who liked the blitz, it's Will Gay and it's Mike Hilton. Like, Mike Hilton, um, I think, was the MVP of the defense against the Denver Broncos. You know, eight tackles, a couple of fumbles, um, a, couple, a couple of TFLs. And having a guy of that stature, which he's not that tall, He's not that big. He just got the mindset. He's fearless. But having a, a a nickel who can also cover and is just as aggressive as a linebacker, it helps your defense out a lot because it brings a little spunk, brings a little attitude, brings a little aggressiveness to that defense, and you don't lose it by taking a linebacker out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of – and that's a big problem for the Houston Texans this weekend too because – 
you're going back to 2018 against the Indianapolis Colts. They like to bring Kenny Moore in their slot corner blitzes, and Houston's been notorious about having problems with uh, those sort of blitzes. So, you know, I could see Hilton having a sack or having some big plays coming off the edge like that this game too. Yeah, I think I think Hilton is, is kind of coming into his own. Um, I've known Hilton since he was a rookie. I kind of I kind of vouch for Hilton. Uh, I think at one point in time, you know, the, the front office was kind of looking at his stature, you know, saying it was too small. But I'm like, man, if the man, if it's 14 days and he just be making plays for 14 days in training mm-hmm. camp, what the hell are y'all waiting for? Like that's he he's just a baller. He's a playmaker, period. And they finally get a man opportunity, and we're talking about him now. But yeah, I think he's a huge part. He's the unsung, I think, my just my personal opinion. I think he's the unsung hero of that defense. Mm-hmm. I like that. And yeah, the, I know we, you mentioned Vince Williams earlier too. I think I had no idea who Vince Williams was until two weeks ago. And he, I know he only weighs like 255, 260, but he looks like a defensive tackle playing linebacker. I think it's the number 98 that does that too. And probably like one of the hardest hitters I've seen so far this year. Um, where did he come from? Like, do you know Vince Williams from before, or is this just kind of like his first foray with Pittsburgh? Nah. I was training with Vince. I was training with Vince since he was in high school in Orlando. See, Vince from Lakeland. So I've been knowing Vince since he was like 14 years old. <laughs> so Vince is like the 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 little brother to me, but um he's a stiller. And we've discussed what a stiller means. Like all he wanna do is hit people hard. Take the soul out of grown men, um, understand what he's doing on the field, win championships, and just and I hate to say this, but just beat people to sleep on the field. Mm-hmm. That's Vince. He 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 loves to be violent on the field. And he's always been that way. Super smart. He's another above the neck kind of guy. Um, graduating three and a half years at Florida State. So that's letting you know right there. So V-Dub, we call him V-Dub. Y'all know him as Vince Williams. Like, he's, he, for, for, he's been a heart and soul and a guy with the most passion for me if you if you want to have a tone setter from the first snap to the last snap that's Vince Mm -hmm. yeah and paired with him is Devin Bush they trade up and drafted I guess this is his third year in the league now um he put that Mm -hmm. hit on Jerry Judy last game and like that was the type of hit you don't see in the NFL really at all anymore whenever Judy called that slant route um do they both play a lot of coverage like that or is it just something where Vince kind of comes in more as a red stopper Whenever they go like diamond nickel, does Vince come off the field or is that mostly Bush's role in the defense? Yeah, when it comes to sub packages, you'll probably see Bush more in the field of Vince, all because of his uh, athleticism, you know, and he's a younger guy. Um, but Vince have been on the field. Um, I've talked to Vince years ago about, you know, losing weight and staying on there all three downs because you just don't want to be known as a first, second down linebacker, mm-hmm. third down coming you off the field. And I think he kind of took that to heart. So he's been working on his third down packages, whether it's going against tight ends or running backs coming out the backfield. But at the same time, I think for the most part, as a coaching staff, from from what I've seen so far, is they like Devin Bush right now in sub packages because he's the younger, more athletic guy mm-hmm. at that linebacker position. And you're still not losing that aggressiveness when Vince goes out because Devin Bush is very aggressive. Yeah, it looks enormous this year compared to, I think, like his, the year before in his rookie year. And I don't know if he's gotten bigger or if it's or the shoulder pads he's wearing or something, but he does look noticeably bigger. And uh, I think, like I said, I think Vince just him being number 98. 
Like he looks like he weighs 315 out there. I think that has more about the number, but they're both enormous, like thumping guys. And it's fun to watch them like blitz. And, and I know like a lot of people think about the Steelers as a pass blitzing team, but they've been a really great run blitzing team this year as well, too. Uh, like I love watching Dupree come off the edge on backside plays. And I mean, he's a heck of a hitter too. And uh, it's just been really fun to watch like this front that's this murderous and, and like this, like uh, this hard hitting because you don't see that as much in football at all anymore. Yeah. You know, they, they kind of start running to Bud's side. You know, I know we know TJ has a pass rusher, and he, pass rusher and he gets a lot of sacks, but, you know, Bud to, to, to two Bud's horn, Bud is a hell of a run stopper. He's just now getting in the zone to be a pass rusher, which Pittsburgh been looking for for a while. So, like I say, man, between the duel between TJ and Bud Dupree, I haven't seen a duo coming off the edge like that in a while. Right now, I think they're the hottest thing going in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Bud last year, he had franchise tags last offseason. Like, it wasn't until last year that he actually had, like, a really great, like, productive season. And a lot of people were wondering if this was going to be a flash-off thing. I didn't think so, personally, just because he looked so much stronger. He wasn't winning just by running around offensive tackles. He was able to have the strength to counter, to bull rush offensive tackles this year, too. Um, what's been, like, the biggest change in Bud Dupree going from, like, you know, rotational players not being looking like a drafting T.J. White. Is that really what it? Drafting T.J. White. Competition is a mother. Uh huh. If you think you're good, we about to draft somebody who we think is better than you. Now you're gonna do two things. You're gonna fight your way out, or you're gonna tuck your tail. It's one of the two. So you know, T.J. first rounder, Bud Dupree a first rounder. Um, I don't know if Bud at some point in time felt like he got comfortable on what he was at far as like playing outside linebacker position, but then you draft the guy, DJ Watt, who is far from as athletic as Bud, but he has a motor. And his offseason is tremendous because he's coming from the Watt family. And what he did as a rookie was, it was eye-opening. And you saw how special TJ could be. Mm-hmm. Now that opened a lot of eyes for, for Bud. And Bud wound up going, you know, training in the offseason two years ago with TJ Watt. So that's letting you know. So for Bud to do so now as a national athlete, you don't want nobody saying your teammate on the other side is better than you. You know what I'm saying? So I think Bud kind of took that into consideration, did what he needed to do in the offseason. Now you seeing Bud be a dual linebacker, meaning he can get to the quarterback and he can stop the run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I didn't really think of it like that at all. I just thought it was like, well, he got stronger, but what are, what are the things behind the player that leads to him doing that? And uh, like that sack he had against Drew Locke, I know he hurt him on that sack last week, but coming on block from the backside, just how quickly he closes that space where you know, Locke can't really do anything. He's just kind of helpless and leaves that forced fumble. And then you know, Pittsburgh took the lead after that play, kind of immediate, you know. But – Bud is a legit 280. Around November time, Bud, Bud could probably get up to 280. <laughs> so we're talking about a 280 outside linebacker in the 3-4. That's who can, who can rush the passer and stop the run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and hopefully he gets a big contract this next year. I'm not a big fan of the franchise tag at all. I think it limits player mobility. And like, if you have a great season, you should be rewarded for it. And who knows how long your career is going to be. And so hopefully next year, your new pre-plays this full season, keeps playing as he's playing. And uh, is able to get rewarded with a with a big contract and pass that rookie contract as well too. Because I mean he's been he's been absolutely awesome on that other side of the defense. Uh, so offensively last year, 
Ben Roethlisberger, you know, had his, had his elbow su- uh, surgery, you know, he missed the rest mm-hmm. of the year. And it was just like, the Steelers had a great defense. You know, their, their past defense was bad. Uh, the run defense struggled because they could, because teams could really hone in on that portion of the ball. Uh, so now Roethlisberger is back. They've scored 26 points the first two games of the season. What, uh, what do you see is, do you see any differences at all between like 2018 Roethlisberger, 2017 Roethlisberger and uh, this version in 2020? His weapons are different. Um, I think, you know, he got a guy who he wants, a rookie guy. He can kind of mold Chase Claypool. He got Deontay Johnson, who's is probably just as electric as any wide receiver in the league. We all know what Juju can do sitting up in that slot. James Washington, we know what he can do. Strong man, country boy. So Ben now has a young talented group of receivers that he can kind of mold into being what he wants them to be. So that's, that's the difference right now. And I think, you know, he getting injured last year, he kind of had to sit back and grew more off the field relationships with his, with his receivers than he ever did, mm-hmm. you know? So I think coming on the field, that's going to, that's just take reps and experience what they got going on the field. Um, I think by game six or seven, you're going to see a totally different wide receiver crew, meaning it's going to be a better receiving core as a whole than what you're seeing now because of the reps they're getting together. But seven, uh, between 18 and 20, I don't think seven had this, a group that's this talented right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I really like it because he has like eight different guys who can catch the ball well. And they all attack the field in different ways. Like, I know you mentioned Claypool. He had that really great fade route last week. Um, Deontay Johnson is so good, like, at breaking tackles and turn screen passes into, you know, you know long uh, yard plays after the catch. Smith-Schuster seems like a lot better this year in bunch formations where he can go back and run quick crossing routes. And things got kind of opened up by mm-hmm. the deeper threats from there, too. And so it's been a lot of fun seeing, like, a, a rejuvenated Smith-Schuster. Um, what's been, like, the, Schuster's had a lot better. It's, like, start off a lot hotter these first two weeks than he did kind of like all of last year. Uh, what's been the difference for him this year? Is it just having Roethlisberger around again? Yeah, that's one, too, is you ain't, you, you're, you're not Batman anymore. Uh, Juju, Juju, Juju became Juju off of being Robin. Like, let's not forget Antonio Brown was smoking mm-hmm. the league for a lot of years. So Antonio Brown was the Batman, Juju was the Robin. Then when it was time for Juju to be the Batman, it's hard. Like, as, as talented as you want to say a lot of receivers are, it's hard being Batman. Everybody want to be Batman when they're robbing until they got to mm-hmm. be Batman and understand what comes with the territory <laughs> and the responsibility. It's hard. It really, your mindset and your body got to be right for that. And everybody just, everybody just not built for it, period. I don't care whether you're a first rounder or a sixth rounder, being that Batman ain't for everybody because it, mess, it messes with you up here. Um, now Juju got some guys who can, take the load off of them. You know, mm-hmm. a James Washington on the outside, a Chase Claypool on the outside, a Deontay Johnson on the outside. So on the inside, man, I'm taking Juju over any safety, any slot corner, any linebacker. And that's going to be the matchups he got to face. And that's the matchups I think he's going to win. Yeah, I really like that. Because they're, I mean, like your body-wise, like physically, there's a, a much different amount of hits that you take getting 110 catches compared to getting like, you know, 70 catches in a season. And I can imagine like what that difference would be going into a year or two for that. But yeah, it's, it's fun watching them allow like bunch formations. 
how they're able to, to get off the line of scrimmage, kind of time their routes and their releases to create mm-hmm. open receivers in those situations too. Um, so Roethlisberger, he kind of reminds me of like 2015 Peyton Manning, where like he was just like really intelligent, had really great ball placement, um, put the ball in like the exact spots that he needed to put it, kind of floated it, where it kind of looks like he's controlling the ball with his mind more than he's actually throwing in some ways. But he does have that mobility too. Um, do you like what type of like if if Roethlisberger and this offense shells together and continues to do so, could you see them being the type of AFC team that can compete with Baltimore and Kansas City, who are the two top teams in this conference, kind of like far and away yeah, at the moment? Easy, easy. That's that's Ben's offense. Like I think Ben understands now he ain't got to throw for five thousand, four thousand yards to 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 win games. I think Ben's mindset now is to win on Lombardi. And that's whatever it takes. If I need to hand the ball off 40 times a game, that's what I'm going to do. If I feel like my receivers are better than the secondary guys and it's a lot of mismatches, we're going to air this thing out. Um, I think a young Ben probably would have aired it out 24-7. Really didn't care about running. But I think now Ben understands him coming off the injury he's had. At the same time, the weapons he's got on the outside, the perimeter with his wide receivers, but he understand, man, to win ball games, especially in the playoffs, you got to run the ball. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to establish that right now. And the best way you can get a, a broken up offensive line who was hurt is about running the ball. You know, it's kind of tough to get young guys, rookie guys coming in. Shout out to Kevin Dotson, um, a UL alum, you know, our <laughs> former school who balled out last week. But when you got a young offensive line who's trying to gather information um, and just getting plug and play, you got to run the ball. It gets them in a the groove. And I think Seven really understands that. I think Seven just gets the big picture right now. And that's what's going to make this offense special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, like, even though they scored 26 points, they do seem like they moved the ball a lot better than that. And it does seem like there is a lot more potential than what they've kind of scored so far, too, especially when you compare it to the situations their defense has placed them in. Um, but you mentioned run the ball. And I think their, their run game's kind of been the biggest problem in their offense. And I don't know if it's just because, like, David DeCastro has been hurt to start the year and he's one of you know, the five best guards in the game. And they've also had some running back injuries with Connor kind of going back and forth. Uh, why do you think the run game has kind of struggled to start off the year so far? Well, you said the best. You got, you got both. You got, a, you got a running back who can't get in the rhythm because he was injured a few times. You got you're missing two offensive linemen, um, one of all pro slash pro bowl. Offense alignment on Castro, so it's just it's it's just hard, you know. And that's that's been a focal point. That's been a strong point for the Pittsburgh Steelers for a couple of years now. It has been offensive line when you want to talk about off when you want to talk about offense, if you want to talk about consistency. So right now they just banged up, and being banged up, you can, you can kind of tell. But like I say, man, I think Seven just just getting he's getting back, and he understands. Hey, I can run the ball for forty times. That doesn't mean we have to have. 107 yards, man, if we just control the clock and we come out with the W, it looks good. So um, that's 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 why I think seven is that. I think seven, like I say, bro, I think he's just getting a big picture mm-hmm. from injuries, understanding what the offensive strengths and the weaknesses, and he's just taking it game by game and he's going with the flow. So whatever the defense gives him or whatever majesty like between the opposing defenses, he loves it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, too, you know, some of the big picture for Roethlisberger, it's only been two weeks, and with the defense that they have, just like even av- an average quarterback could get this team maybe to 10 wins or so with how much talent they have around him. And so just by him kind of feeling, understanding, you know, like I can throw the ball 20 times and, be, and I could 
probably throw 120 yards and we could still probably win this game because of how great our defense is right now, too. Yeah, the defense just picked up where it left off last year. Yeah. Like, they they held, they held the team. They held, I mean, them boys were 8-8 eight and eight and had a – if the rules was what they were this year as far as, like, the seventh team going into the playoffs, Pittsburgh would have been in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. But the rules have changed this year. So what I'm talking about is the defense was the strength of the team last year. And what they left off, they picked up this year. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, yeah, they were one of the rare defenses last year that had, like, a top five run defense and pass defense where most of the teams in the league just, like, Kansas City and Baltimore last year, for example, they kind of punted on their run defense, focused, stopped the pass. But Pittsburgh is one of the rare teams that had both at the same time. And uh, you don't really see that all that much in the NFL usually where you have like the team will focus on one or the other, you know? Yeah, it's hard to be balanced. It's hard to be balanced. Um, but I was, I was a part of them teams that was very well balanced on defense. Side. We was like number one in the run and number one in the pass for like mm-hmm. four or five years. So I was very <laughs> fortunate to be a part of, part of something like that. But we was very disciplined, you know, and we very unselfish. And to, to have, you know, top five in passing and in rushing, you got to be collectively an unselfish group. And that's what we was. And that's what I think the Pittsburgh Steelers is now. They're a very unselfish group. That's why you're seeing them so high up in the stats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I, and, like, I'm, like, you know, I've watched the Steelers play, but it's been really interesting speaking to you. Uh, today, kind of having having you know, like a glimpse into the culture in Pittsburgh, because you hear all about the culture and what it is to be a Steeler and what uh, what makes the Steelers different than other organizations in the league. But I really had no idea what that was until I spoke to you this afternoon. No, that's what it is, bro. Being a Steeler is, is it's a tradition. Is it's family. It's blood without actually being blood. It's it's unselfishness. It's about others. It's putting everything on the line for your brother. Mm-hmm. That's 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 basically what it is. Like, and that's not like that for a lot of other teams and cities. But for the city of Pittsburgh, that's what it is, man. It's a brotherhood. You know, we did everything on the field and everything off the field together. You know, we still to this day since 2003 in 20-man group Texas. And our kids calling each other uncles. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's just that camaraderie, it's just that brotherhood that we gained over the course of these years. But that all started with being unselfish. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like that's something very hard to like to even have in professional sports and how much player mobility is and and how short careers can be and everything else too. Uh, so for this game specifically, you know, the Texans have started off 0-2. They lost to the Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday night football. They lost to the Ravens last week. Why do you, what do you think is the problem with the Houston Texans? Why have they been caught at this, at the divisional round wall? And uh, what's been kind of hindering them to start the, two, the 2020 NFL season? Man, they're struggling on defense right now. You know, um, DeAndre, I mean, not DeAndre. Um, yeah, DeAndre Hopkins, he's gone. Um, he's a great example of like being the Batman, you know? I mean, it's, why would you let a Batman go? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, when you have a quarterback, the quarterback you have, who's another Batman. So you got two Batmans, man. It's hard to have two <laughs> Batmans. 
You know what I'm saying? So why would you let why would you let a Batman go? So it's the play caller for me on the offensive side. You know, it's the it's the inconsistency between the running game and the passing game. I think that has a lot to do with the play caller. You know, I think um Coach Bill O'Brien, he's a he's a good OC when he doesn't have to be a GM or OC and a DC sometimes, you know, so I I just think in Houston, man, they just need to hit the reset button. But mm-hmm. getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins um, is tough. I mean, you get David Johnson. Uh, you saw what he did in the first game in the first half. He he went crazy. Then you just start running him in the second game. Like, I just don't get it. You know, you as a coach, you coming from an organization, which is New England Patriots. And but people can say what they want to say when it came down to the playoffs and crunch time. New England ran the ball. You know, they, the offense was based out of play-action pass. Now, you got a quarterback and Deshaun Watson, who is who is a special kid, you know. So, but you rely too much on them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you, 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 I think coach wants Deshaun to be, you know, Batman and Superman instead of giving him some Supermans um, around. So, it's, it, it sucks because you see the talent that that offense can have, but from a player standpoint, I see a lot of pressure on Deshaun Watson. Um, and I'm sure he can handle that. But I just think as a coaching staff, being a head coach, man, you got to you gotta figure some things out, you know, and that's running the ball. I think they should run the ball more because David Johnson, it's not looking like the David Johnson of old, but, hell, he's looking like a good running back. You yeah, know? It looks um, like 2016 out there a little bit with him. Yeah, you could split him out. Um, he was one of the running backs for Le'Veon Bell, who was coming out of the backfield catching passes. Mm-hmm. At the time, he was hot when he didn't get injured. So now, so why not go back to him? So um, I think right now, Coach Bill, man, I love him to death, but I think he's just handicapping a lot of his players right now. Under Sean Watson, you know, if I if he could just sit back and understand his personnel, um, and and understanding your personnel and for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about being Batman and how Robin wants to be Batman, but not understanding like a lot of a lot of coaches just don't understand their personnel. Like they, they want their personnel to adjust to something all they know instead of sometimes the coaches adjusting to their personnel. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know you mentioned the Andre Hopkins trade and like from a player's perspective, like if you're in that locker room, like how, how does a player handle something like that whenever you see a player get traded for you know, David Johnson, Brand Cooks, and, and like a, a second round pick slop, a uh, second round pick flop. Like, does that like, you know, that's not a fair, like a fair value of like a trade or whatever. I was saying you have a job to do and that sort of thing, but does that affect the locker room, the morale? Or do you just say like, you know, we're still going to be okay, you know, because we have these guys or whatever. And I have faith in the coaching staff and owner and, um, and management that, you know, this was the correct uh, way to go about this, you know? For me, it was more, why he got traded. Like him and the head coach, DeAndre and the head coach wasn't seeing eye to eye. I mean, you, you go to work sometimes, you ain't got to see eye to eye. But some of the rumors that were spread on why they wasn't seeing eye to eye, Lord forbid, man, I hope that wasn't true on what was going on between Coach Bill and DeAndre Hopkins. But, um, man, that's the first thing they said when I came into Pittsburgh. Before you walk into the Steeler facility on the south side, 
Make sure you leave your ego right there. Drop drop your ego bag right at the door. And I think a lot of times us as grown men and humans, especially in that profession, you walk into the door with a with an extra luggage of ego. And it's not gonna help anybody in the long run. So either you're gonna grow as a person or you're gonna stay stagnant. So um just understanding what went on in Houston, um, I think it was more of an ego trip than anything. I don't think DeAndre Hopkins should have got traded. I think DeAndre Hopkins should have stayed. Of course, DeAndre Hopkins even goes to a more elusive quarterback and and Murray, and we seeing them two tandems, they're clicking. So um, DeAndre Hopkins fell into a situation, and he just redid his own deal on his own. Mm-hmm. So it was a it was a blessing in disguise for him. Um, at the same time, man, I think a lot of things that transpire in the NFL that we all scratch our head on is ego based. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, well, I, I think I could probably spend the rest of my afternoon you talking ball with you. This has been a lot of fun. So I have one last question before we end today's show. Uh-huh. What's your prediction uh-huh. for Sunday's game between the Texans and Steelers? Do you think Houston can get back to, you know, what can get to one and two get their first win this year? Or do you see them falling into an 0 and 3 hole with, with Pittsburgh going 3 0 and kind of like make, kind of creating that narrative that they're that, uh, a team that could reckon with the Ravens and Chiefs? Yeah, I think Pittsburgh is going to go 3 0. I think the Houston Texans are going to go 1 3. Um, I mean, I just I just can't see it. You know, I'm seeing even 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 though Pittsburgh wasn't as aggressive in the third and fourth quarter on defense as I thought they should be. Um, I mean, off of that one run by Connor James Connor, the offense really wasn't too too productive in the second half. But I think they're gonna figure it out. You know, mm-hmm. I think Ben is starting to figure out. Um, it's I'm putting everything on my shoulders, so I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go as a team, as a whole, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, I like it. Well, it was great talking to you this afternoon, Ike. You have a great day, and have fun watching the Thank game you, on Sunday. And if you ever have a have like an empty Saturday, you know, send send an email over. We can do this again. Okay. All right. Appreciate it. No problem.